Prime Minister Hun Sen has said that he hopes Myanmar military leader Xi General Minong Leng will reconsider the death sentence ordered for two young men from opposition groups. Capacity as the 2022 ASEAN chair sent a letter to Myanmar military leader Senior General Min Aung Kiang regarding the death sentence. Opposition groups asking him to reconsider this decision. In the letter sent by the Prime Minister to the Myanmar military leader last week, he said that the planned execution, if indeed carried out, would trigger a very strong and widespread negative reaction from the international during a press conference on 8th June, the spokesperson for Myanmar State Administration Council, General Jamin Bun, confirmed that four prisoners, two of whom are politicians, would be sentenced to death. I would like to caution listeners that the upcoming interview touches upon various topics that some listeners may find upsetting. In an effort to tell the real story of what is now happening in Myanmar, we encourage our guests to share as they feel comfortable doing, affirming that this platform can bear the weight of their story. As traumatic as the events have obviously been for our guests, they can affect even those of us listening from a distance as well. Every member of our team has shed a tear at some point or another along the process of bringing these interviews to you, and you might similarly find yourself affected by this story. If you feel some of the content may be upsetting, maybe consider listening in stages or whatever way that works. But please do listen to bear witness to this guest story.
This is an emergency episode of the Insight Myanmar podcast. Uh, usually, the interviews on this program do not exactly cover urgent, uh, time-relevant, newsy events. Usually, they are more long-form reflections and uh taking in people's research or experiences or life story, but this type of interview is very different. And we, our team, has worked very hard to try to get this, complete this interview and complete the episode to get it out as soon as possible. It's not being too dramatic to suggest that interviews like this are literally a matter of life and death. And so we are putting uh, uh, whatever resources we have into trying to get this information out and, and cover this in the best way possible. Because as we've seen, this has been one of the top stories that you're about to listen to in Myanmar, in the country, but has not received as much press outside. And so we'd like to add to that what we can. On this episode, my guest is Han Tu. He, listeners might remember him from last year. He did an extensive interview about his background studying economics at Oxford, uh, going on to lead many of the, the major big strikes across Yangon in the early months, and then eventually uh, having to escape for freedom, leaving the country. And he recently wrote an article in The Diplomat. The link to that article will be in our show notes. This article concerns a recent death sentence that the military regime has handed down, and that is going to be the subject of today's talk. Hantu is going to give us extensive details about the circumstances behind this death sentence, the implications of it, the, the painting a picture of the condemned and those that are connected to them, their family and colleagues, and what this means for the wider democracy movement in Myanmar, and finally, what listeners can do. This is an extremely concerning and disturbing topic, even after a year and a half of very heavy, difficult news, this still stands out above that. And that's why we want to take the time to urgently talk about this and to raise a red flag to our listeners that this is also something that stands out and people should be aware and concerned about. So with that introduction, Hantu, thank you so much for joining us and coming on today to talk about this. Thank you very much for inviting me, Jua. I... Um, I am very grateful, um, also the families and all the people who are concerned, also grateful. Mm, so let's take it just at the beginning, what happened. We're going to have some listeners who are somewhat familiar with this case and others who have no idea what we're talking about as yet. So for those that are completely new to this story, can you catch everyone up to speed on what exactly has happened? Yes, of course. Um, so after the after the February 2021 coup of Myanmar, uh, the military uh, accelerated um, arbitrary killings and arrest, and now um, tens of thousands of people were arrested, have been arrested, and thousands of people killed. And um, the matter which is, which we are talking about today is the military decision to proceed 
with the death sentences of four political prisoners who are uh, who were resisting um, the military in different ways in um, different capacities um, the, those four people are now at the great risk of being hanged at insane prison in Yangon. Um, we in Myanmar have death sentences, uh, but the government does not um, it, it have not been um, literally or really executing these dead row inmates uh, since 1989. So it's been over 30 years that these death sentences were never implemented. These essentially means life imprisonment. Or if you um, uh, are on the pardon repeatedly, it will be reduced gradually uh, and at some point you can get released from the from the prison. So now this is a different case. So the legal way is the court would vad make vadit and hand out the death sentences to the uh, convicted. Uh, but the convicted, they can appeal for non-execution, appeal for pardon not from the prison, but from the death sentence to a higher court. And the higher court would postpone the uh, decision indefinitely, uh, essentially meaning the death sentence is not carried out. So um, it has been the modus operandi since 1989, but unfortunately, and to our great worries, um, the appeals of these four people were rejected by the court, the military court, not a civilian one. Um, and the military spokesperson, the spokesperson of the State Administration Council, um, he has confirmed that um, there will be no pardon and these four inmates would be hanged um, according to the prison procedures. So um, with uh, my one of my friends, a very good friend who is also a very good friend of Myanmar, we wrote that article in Diplomat, briefing people on the situation and essentially uh, on what it, it would mean for the other people, for the or modern democracy in Myanmar. Um, and we wrote that article and we circulate within our networks, people we know, and we also write to people we don't know, who we believe can make a change. And we ask them to use their uh, freedom to to save the lives of these four people. So um, it is 
it is true that um, the the military has been killing without any limit since a few days after the coup. But now this is just cold-blooded murder with a facade of a trial, a court proceeding, and and this would also heavily impact on the fate of 110 other people who were handed out death sentences, including two minors. Mm, that was that was the question I wanted to follow up, actually. There's a, a lot of different directions that I want to go with this to understand both the context, the lives of the people that are being, um, that were condemned and those close to them and uh, the implications overall for the movement. So there's there's many things I've bookmarked of directions want to go to give myself and our listeners a, a proper understanding of this. But one of the things that stands out right away you uh, alluded to, and that's, this is a military that since the coup has been killing with impunity, they have literally shot and beaten people in broad daylight on the street, children, elderly, monks, uh, uh, some some of which have been recorded. There there have been ghastly recordings of uh, of indiscriminate violence of police just literally firing at people riding a motorcycle um, on a nearby road uh, with. Uh, one doesn't even know what, why they were doing it. It seems like a completely random act. Uh, they have killed, tortured, raped in ethnic villages and cities and night and broad daylight and jail cells. So their uh, practice of this inhumane, these inhumane acts and these atrocities has been ongoing and constant since the beginning. There's no line they've shown they wouldn't cross. And yet this is something that somehow stands above that. So what is the distinction between a state formally, or or I don't, I don't know if I should call it a state if that's the right term, because this is not a, a legally recognized body and they did not take power in an authorized way, but we could say the regime. What is the, what is the distinction between a military regime that is murdering with a a, lo- a so-called logical rationale and explanation for why they are taking these acts on and how they're carrying them out. How is that different from the hundreds and thousands that have been murdered and tortured and raped in, in all kinds of ways before this? Why does this particular death sentence stand out above and beyond the already terrible cruelty that we've already witnessed from them? Right. So, um, for one thing, although the state administration council, the military grab the power without any sound legal ground um, and also kill people um, arbitrarily. These are just extrajudicial killings. And, and um, these could be understand as the collateral damage of the uh, in their words, the restoration of law and order. Um, and But the difference here, the distinction here is the use of, use of rule of law, the use of the rule of law and court procedures, these virtues to, to cover these broad daylight murder with cold-blooded. It is it is the 
institution who is which is supposed to bring justice uh, ironically have been used to to murder these people and also it is about uh bringing reversing a, a a procedure which is um very concerning the pro- uh, precedent of um the not not implementing that sentences has been essentially broken um uh it is the the state uh denying the rights of the people um and 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 it also it is also not a precedent uh, with grave concerns on the um people with that sentences but also people who are now being tried at court and people who have been handed out imprisonment sentences prison sentences and also people who are resisting the military in different ways as well as people in general um so this is this is the distinction that i would say the the use of the use of law to murder people and and the exploitation of a uh, people consent and um the a uh, love to 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 foster a, a culture of fear and environment of fear that they have been doing since the coup um also um for some people a, a theory is also appealing but not so much to me that theory poses that now the state administration council is in is very desperate for international recognition uh a, and bringing going back to business as usual so um these international institutions and international community include the west liberal western liberal democracies and china and india and also the neighboring asian countries so he have been mainline has been denied a a dignified legitimacy since the coup and now some theory suggests that he is now um leveraging these um bringing back these procedure the precedent to to exploit uh, to to demand to rob that legitimacy international legitimacy he's been longing for so how does that accomplish that how does minanlang and the military rulers how do they benefit from 
um, making the appearance that they are going to go ahead with this execution. And because we don't know what mechanisms or, or strategies they're playing with, we don't know what, what kind of, uh, uh, what their, what their actual plan is, but they're certainly going through with this, uh, with, with this uh, claim that they will, have a death sentence and it will be carried out and and that uh, they've they've authorized this in ways that if you've mentioned before they haven't done that in many many years they've taken a further step that they usually don't as you've written about and you discussed here death sentences are often handed out but they're usually commuted in some way or form and to date this has not been so how I guess there, this is a two part question first what uh, do you have a sense of the likelihood of them actually carrying this out or of just this being part of some larger game? And second, either way, whichever, however the strategy does play out, how does it benefit them? How does it bring greater legitimacy to their reign? Right. I mean, I, I, I hate speculation on people's life and I... I don't want to um, um, say I sense a chance, um, but here is the thing. Um, the uh, let me answer uh, your two parts of the questions um, in in one go. Uh, the military would um, definitely uh, get a benefit. Uh, from this threat uh, by fostering fear uh, uh, and uh, self-censorship from the general public and the people who are involved in the um, resistance movement. This is, this is one way of thinking. Um, this could horribly discourage a, a, um, any um, a resistance movement uh, against uh, the regime and and from the threat they could also um, uh, expect to have some um, a formal uh, open request, um, which uh, they accomplished from the um, ASEAN, the current chairman of the ASEAN, uh, Prime Minister Hun Sen of Cambodia. He wrote an open letter to General May Online um, asking to reconsider the execution of these four political prisoners. And also they could expect some backdoor diplomacy um, by um, assuring some um, a concession from the international community, um, uh, which has been by and large uh, isolating the regime um, so uh, this could be the benefits they could expect from the from the threat, uh, but 
But if they really proceed, if they really go ahead with the, with the execution, um, the uh, second benefit would have a reverse effect. Uh, the ASEAN may even lose uh, its credibility and the credibility of uh, Cambodia chairmanship um, uh, approach, which is uh, accommodating and dialogue um, with the with the junta. So the ASEAN centrality uh, and credibility might be hugely undermined, and um, um, the um, uh, West democracies, including EU, UK, and United States, which has been uh, pretty much hiding behind ASEAN and just pushing forward that deadlock, five-point consensus will also be called out. Um, so um, this would have a reverse effect and huge international backlash from these uh, configurations if they really proceed. But also from the people, they could expect a mixed reaction. Um, I, for one thing, they could uh, foster fear, but I doubt um, it's um, the killings uh, and uh, dying, uh, seeing people who are murdered by the military has been daily news since the first victim. Um, uh, I think people were just become more determined. And politically, any attempt of dialogue and, and um, ceasefire or negotiated pathway out from this uh, deadlock situation would have much lesser chance than it is now. So um, I, I don't really know the chance. Uh, we have rumors of all kinds, which are even not true, but until now it is not happening. Um, I doubt, I, I, I just wish that uh, I will never um, hear the bad news. Mm. Let's take a moment to understand those four that have been condemned. Can you tell us a bit about these four individuals, two of whom are quite famous and well-known in Myanmar? Right. Two of whom are quite famous and well-known in Myanmar, uh, Ujimi and um, Kuziato. Uh, Kuzia, Kujimi has been um, a prominent student activist since um, a 1988 uprising, and he was a university student back then at Yangon University. He led student organizations, student unions, and um, he went to the prison um, uh, from 1988 um, to 
um, mid 1990s, and in 2007, um, he uh, also led the um, the Saffron Revolution of Myanmar, where monks protested against the against against the then ruling junta, and he was. Um, arrested um, for his involvement in the resistance and he was released in 2012. So he is now in his 50s. Um, um, so this is about him. And Kuzia uh, Do, who is also known as Puzia Do, um, is uh, uh, he used to be a, a, a rapper. He's still a rapper. Um, he started, he introduced hip hop to Myanmar. Um, his band called Beginning, uh, Acid uh, published uh, their, launched their first um, album, The Beginning, in. Um, 2000 in the year of 2000 and um, and then in 2007 he involved he was involved in the 2007 saffron revolution and um, he was um, arrested in 2008 and released from the prison um, in 2011 and um, he joined the NLD party, National League for Democracy, the party of Aung San Suu Kyi, and he ran for the election and won um, the seat um, he was running for, and he became a member of parliament. Uh, he also ran the second term from 2015 to 20, and now he's arrested after the coup because of his role in the resistance movement. And the rest, uh, the other two, Lam Yu Aung and Aung Duyazo are largely unknown uh, in Myanmar. They were arrested last year. The military accused them of, uh, of murder of a school teacher, um, uh, uh, the the military um, accused them. Uh, they stabbed the school teacher with a, with a knife. But they were uh, people from the um, resistance movement. These were not um, a normal um, a criminal uh, a prisoners, but political prisoners. So this is a background about these four people mm, right and what what have they been accused of have they been accused of separate crimes or uh have they been grouped together in something in some similar thread right um a, the letter to lam Aung and andu or they were arrested for the same case um, they were arrested at different points, but uh, they were accused of the same case. But for um, uh, Kojimi and 
Cusiador. Uh, they were also accused uh, of um, uh, planning and leading uh, uh, armed resistance in Yangon. And um, they were arrested at uh, different points um, and um, separate cases but connected. Mm, right, I see. And how how has the the legal proceedings of the case gone on? How what kind of evidence have they presented? Uh, what commentary would you have on them receiving or not receiving a fair trial? How has the legal proceedings uh, developed uh, in this case up till now? Yeah, so their right to justice, their right to defend um, uh, themselves in the face of the law uh, uh, are totally denied. I listened to Kuziador's fiance's interview and she confirmed that Kuziador didn't get to see his lawyer or talk to anyone he knows from outside of the prison and the um it is uh, the the trial itself the court is not even a civilian court led by a civilian um judge but a, a military court uh, chaired by active serving uh, military officers and and we know almost nothing about um, how the uh, proceeding went and whether they have the chance to defend themselves properly, whether they had, for sure they uh, couldn't bring any um, human or non-human evidence to defend themselves. They didn't, uh, they, they couldn't uh, hire lawyers so, so it is um, a, just a facade trial um, to murder people uh, in the name of the law. Mm, so you reference a, an interview that was done with uh, Wazerto's uh, fiance, um, Matazen. This appeared in on our Burmese language podcast. This is called Myanmar Revolutionary Tales. So. Any listeners that speak Burmese, you're encouraged to go to episode seven of Myanmar Revolutionary Tales, and to which is available now on all different podcast apps. You can find that, and you can hear the extensive interview that our host of this channel was able to do with the uh, the fiance and learn uh, more circumstances about the nature of the arrest, about the process of receiving the sentence and also just how she's holding up and how she's feeling. Uh, I know that you, Hantu, has, have listened to this interview before we've talked. For those listeners that do not speak Burmese, can you sum up what your overall feeling was in listening to her express herself about the situation? Right. Um, um she uh, she talk about the situation um, and how the military uh, denied any legal rights of um, these poor four people 
um, and she also talked about um, how they plan to um, marry in 2021, but all their plans were canceled. They plan to um, launch a, a, their, their Jewett album, uh, a hip-hop album. She herself is also a rapper. Um, and, and all these plans were canceled and uh, she became uh, involved in the resistance together with Guziado in the aftermath of the coup and how they, um, uh, their, their conviction, their, their determination were uh, confirmed uh, after the death of the first victim of the military coup um, in late February um, last year. So, um, and Guziado was arrested and she also had to escape um, from the military. Uh, she was so uh, desperate uh, and um, helpless. The military, um, uh, the threat of the military uh, prosecution also um, filter out her uh, relatives and her close friends um, by self-censoring them to offer any help for medicine and and um, she was she expressed her grave concern she said I didn't even know how he looked like now I I I don't even know she said Guziado um, is still having his all organs, body parts, um, working properly. Has he lost weight? Um, he, uh, she didn't know that. So it is, it is quite a depressing situation, and and um, at the same time, I was. Uh, moved by her calmness, determination, and the ability to um, control herself and make appeal, make an appeal to all people in inside Myanmar, also people from all over the world to use their freedom to save the life of. Um, four people, including her fiance. Um, I, I, I am, I, I respect uh, medicine greatly, and and I wish um, uh, people could hear her appeal to to pressure the government to stop killing those people. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to that area next. Martha Zinn, the fiancé of one of the condemned, has made in on our Burmese language channel, she uh, very resolute, very strong and calm, as you say. She sent out an appeal to for everyone in the country and out of the country to do what they can to stop this from happening. These are 
there are not just these lives at stake of these four, but the precedent of what this sets going forward. It's just another line in the sand that the military continues to cross and to check what the consequences are and seeing that the consequences are not great. It gives them greater ability to act with impunity on further horrendous acts. And so she is, a fiance is calling for uh, those to stand up and do what they can. Let's follow up on that point. What has been the response of the international community to this recent news? Right. The international community, um, uh, the uh, embassies of um, uh, Western liberal democracies, um, Western countries, including United States, um, uh, EU countries, Canada, uh, they, they made statement about their concerns over the execution, imminent execution of these four people. Um, and they pressure the military with these statements. This is, this is uh, what they do as far as we can observe. And the, um, this week, uh, Prime Minister Hunsen, I believe it, it was last week, um, not this week, uh, Prime Minister Hunsen of Cambodia, uh, as I told you before, um, he, uh, as the chairman of the ASEAN, the regional bloc, um, he made um, a, wrote an open letter to General Mailline of the SAC to to reconsider the execution of anti SAC individuals. So this is um, a, an encouraging step uh, because ASEAN traditionally embrace the policy of non-interference and, and neutrality. So um, the ASEAN has been um, a bit uh, banned in that um, norm uh, over the last year to isolate Myanmar and apply pressure on the hunter, uh, but still it um, uh, still needs uh, some uh, more, more works and more decisive standing um, to really pressure the hunter. So um, these are the reactions that we are seeing now. Um, and it is largely um, the same uh, to how the response, how the international respond, uh, responded to the earlier atrocities um, of Myanmar military, which uh, were proven repeatedly uh, and productive. So um, I'm afraid this would be now. I guess one question I have with ASEAN is uh, how much do you feel their stance has just been kind of covering their own behinds, just saying, you know, expressing serious concerns and 
uh, and and pushing for a reevaluation just so they they look good, so they have that on the record. And then whatever happens, they could say, well, look, we tried, and it's really just to cover themselves. Uh, to what extent do you think that they truly are concerned about the consequences of this being a new stage and the brutality and the atrocity that they're seeing in Myanmar and truly wanting to bring something to bear to be able to leverage and to, uh, um, to not have them carry this out? And the second part of that question is, um, it, should the military not listen to their grave concerns, it, it, are they suggesting or do you see further steps that ASEAN can take that would actually have some teeth? Or it, are, are they not really going to go beyond just issuing grave concerns, in your opinion? Right. So um, uh, for the first part of your question, I don't think ASEAN doesn't have any um, interest in in um, not executing these four people. ASEAN has been engaging with the junta against the will of the majority of Myanmar people um, um, uh, after in the aftermath of the coup. Um, in April last year, uh, May Online went to Jakarta to to agree that um, he would implement five-point consensus of the ASEAN, which includes um, immediate um, a halt of all violences um, and dialogue with all relevant parties accepting the um, humanitarian aid um, from the ASEAN through the um, AHA Center, which is the humanitarian uh, branch of the ASEAN, and also to um, a, implement a, a visit of the ASEAN uh, Special Envoy to Myanmar, um, which is a, essentially uh, the foreign minister of the chairing um, a country of any a particular year. So um, this uh, regime, uh, five-point consensus, uh, is largely backed by the by the um, uh, by China, by India, by um, by the United States, Canada, and like uh, the 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 consensus. Um, it, it enjoyed the a uh, uh, the the very broad support from uh, the unlikely um, diverse uh, countries um, with different ideal points. So the we can say that the um, these countries. Uh, Western democracies are staying behind, passively behind that ASEAN consensus. Now, this year, after one year after the agreement, the the five point consensus has not been realized yet. So, uh, people are now questioning uh, the ASEAN centrality 
in handling in international response to the crisis in Myanmar and ASEAN is now bleeding a, a credibility um, in that front. Myanmar, Myanmar has been a pain um, lately uh, for ASEAN. So um, this is um, ASEAN interest fathering with these atrocities, not only these execution in particular, but this is a huge um, individual case with uh, super important relevance. Um, so this could undermine ASEAN centrality furthermore in Myanmar response, in, in touch international communities response. Uh, but um, they didn't uh, include any implication or threat um, they would uh, carry out should the military doesn't conform, um, uh, which could essentially mean um, the the temporary um, uh, the uh, pause uh, the. Uh, resignation, the kicking out of Myanmar from uh, the grouping, uh, the ASEAN itself, or, or applying more pressure and um, uh, applying economic sanctions, which uh, the military, um, uh, uh, which is so much very important for military after the sentient regimes of the Western countries. So these are the threats they can use, but they didn't uh, signal any of those. And and for the military, um, this uh, statement could still be regarded as a toothless one, uh, like the as other efforts of ASEANs since day one. Mm, right. Uh, so certainly you laid out a roadmap of what ASEAN can actually do should they find the backbone to do it, of having sanctions or even taking an extreme step of kicking them out. Of course, this is complicated by the fact that many of the Southeast Asian countries uh, and the, the, some of the strong world leaders that run them are not exactly known as bastion of human rights. Uh, and so it's uh, they, they might not go as far as what we've seen in the last year and a half of the military trying to reinsert their rule, but there's definitely something of a complication and, and hypocrisy of, uh, of the problems that are existing within their own country and the discomfort of this rather rogue agent in the Myanmar military that's just perhaps a more extreme version of the more civilized way that they're trying to pre present themselves. And so I wonder what, what your thoughts are about where some of these other Southeast Asian rulers and the ASEAN Council, where they sit at evaluating the criticisms of their own rule in their country, but then seeing a more extreme version of that in Myanmar and just the discomfort or the awkwardness and how they how they manage a response of something that's gone too far while at the same time not cleaning their own backyards. Right, right. You, you're right. Also, um, uh, what the ASEAN, what concerns ASEAN and what they want is the regional stability and 
and the absence of security threat and illicit trade um, like drag uh, or human trafficking, which um, uh, sometimes follow armed resistance, uh, the, the uh, armed conflicts inside um, national um, borders, which transcend these. Um, uh, yeah, so um, the uh, symbolically, of course, the ASEAN would uh, suggest the secession of uh, immediate secession of these violences and human rights violation. But um, like you said, this is what they do to a less, lesser extent and in a more nuanced or smart way um, in their own countries. But uh, what they really concern is not the atrocities, I would say, just the um, stability and a source of um, the uh, regional uh, security threat. So um, uh, the execution uh, doesn't really fit into um, uh, that picture directly, but of course it will instigate more um, resentment from the resistance, which could um, further escalate the conflict. Mm, that's right. And that's um, that connects back to an earlier thing you were saying that I was uh, I bookmarked for to come back to. You were mentioning that this could very well create fear in the hearts of other activists who are are not um, who can be accused of anything at any time and just taken away by an apparatus of the state uh, with impunity that, uh, as we see with this, if they're able to get away with it, and, and this would immediately put everyone else at risk, although it has to be acknowledged, everyone is already at risk in the country. Uh, anyone who, from any background, uh, participated or not participated in anything, there, there's no safety with what the military's been doing. Um, but on the other hand, one of the things I was I was also thinking was, uh, one of the things that's really impressed me with this current revolution, and I think stands apart from what we've seen at other times of uh, attempted revolution or resistance, is just this lack of fear. And uh, of course, people have fear. It's uh, uh, everyone has a sense of fear in these situations, but perhaps it's not the absence of it, but it's the overcoming of it. And we've seen terrible, terrible brutality in the last year and a half. And very often when I, especially on this platform, the guests that I interview, they point to some of the worst atrocities as not creating fear, but creating further motivation as driving a further wedge into people that maybe weren't engaged and now they're engaged or maybe even had some mild support of the military and then had to withdraw that after something that happened. And so one of the things I find interesting and perhaps even a bit encouraging is this sense that... Um, that these previous brutal actions, which were really just to cut off a few heads and have everyone else cower in fear that they just don't want that to happen to them, that's not really created that kind of response. Their, their most brutal actions and most humane actions, especially with social media and the way things are shared there now, it's actually had the opposite effect of what we've seen at other times, that it, it has further motivated people and further inspired them and angered them and unified them and set them and people that 
were were on the fence or or just not involved for various reasons have have then have have chosen to engage and this is all coming this is not a scientific or comprehensive study this this is a sense that's coming from the hundreds of hours of interviews I've done where consistently guests have talked about after certain things have happened uh, that have been crackdowns by the military people the the democracy movement has actually been strengthened as opposed to previous times, and so I wonder I wonder about that as well. I can certainly see many people having uh, quite a quite a big fear that this could happen to anyone any time now. It's just another way of death of all the the death and destruction they've already wrought on the people in the country. But uh, already we've seen just from the time the verdict was announced, there there has been a, a tremendous anger and. Uh, and activism in and outside the country at this this kind of new line in the sand that they're crossing. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that as well. Yeah, um, uh, I I totally agree with you in saying that um, uh, should the if if the military um, uh, is expecting. Um, fear it could be the action would be counterproductive and produce more determination. But um, uh, fear, I mean, uh, from the general public, from the loved ones of the people who are in the resistance uh, by the military uh, uh, signaling that they don't really have any limits um or sand uh, the line in the sand um say th- they will they will just do what they want to do to uh oppress this and the um and the consequence and for the for the part of the resistance it is it is um true that there are so many fearless people in Myanmar um uh, who were proven uh, themselves um, heroes, champions of uh, the country's cause for democracy. Um, but at the same time, it is about uh, uh, human human lives. Um, their, their risk calculations have to be more careful. They have to be... Um, a, uh, uh, less, um, they have much uh, less space to um, operate in. Um, but at the same time, we can um, expect more resentment and more determined uh, minds and um, retaliation on different fronts. Um, I mean, we look. We can we can look at these um, uh, the decline of uh, the street protests of millions of people after they started shooting um, uh, people and killing them arbitrarily. Um, uh, these uh, physical protests has been uh, symbolic. Uh, just uh, they, they have been so small that they are important only in symbolic senses. Um, it is it is not about fear, but we're talking about human life, right? Um, 
and people are still supporting and involving directly, indirectly, um, in the in the in the resistance to topple the military rule and kick them out and bring justice. Um, uh, but at the same time, um, we could uh, expect a mixed uh, reaction of um, uh, average people who are just living their lives. Uh, uh, some uh, self-censorship from them and retaliation from the people um, and more resentment uh, from the from the resistance. Mm-hmm. Let's let's move into the international community beyond ASEAN, the Western uh, liberal democracies, as you referenced when I first asked this question, that there has been a predictable response of dismay and uh, and condemnation of this by many of these Western countries, which we all would have expected, and it's been um, they've been uh, quite furious at this, but beyond their furious statements and I don't know what even threats they can make now. What do some of these Western countries that have protested this and have condemned in the strongest possible terms, can they do anything beyond simply just another statement that is expressing shock and horror and asking them to not go through with this? Do they have a greater role they can play in being able to stop these planned executions take place? Um, hmm. it is, it is not about, a the threat. I, I, I think apart from these sanctions and, and these, um, uh, statements, uh, there's little thing they can do. Oh, they can, they can, of course, pressure the ASEAN and, and take responsibility um, for engaging with the military and take the responsibility for the failure of the five-point consensus, um, uh, which could, which uh, that pressure could be passed on to the uh, military uh, from the ASEAN. Um, uh, but uh, um, rather than threat, that they can signal or really uh, carry out. Um, if should the this is a, another way of looking at it. Um, should the military uh, really carries on and proceed with the execution? Um, I think uh, the normalization and. Um, gaining legitimacy uh, internationally would be um, much more difficult. The military could expect that, and and it is also um, difficult. It would also be difficult for these um, democratic countries uh, to normalize um, with the. And 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 to um, and intendedly uh, uh, carries on uh, uh, support 
uh, the military effort to bring uh, people uh, to business as usual. Uh, but also uh, what they can um, threat, uh, it just came to my mind. Uh, I am not sure about the, uh, uh, the uh, political implications and the extent of the threat. They can, they can use uh, the threat of severing uh, diplomatic ties or, or recalling their ambassadors um, and just have some consulate uh, officers uh, in Myanmar. Um, this is uh, the one they can do, but um, uh, of course they can do it, but uh, I'm not sure they would use that threat uh, in our case now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there a date for when the execution is supposed to take place? Um, we, we, we hear things, but these are not official, and and these are just rumors. Um, it is a, a not worthy of any uh, media um, um, coverage. Um, uh, so uh, we had dates, but the military doesn't uh, give a date. Date and and the um, they just said there will be no um, pardon, and um, the uh, a prison uh, authority can proceed with with what they have to do. But a few days ago. Um, the prison authority told to Radio Free Asia Myanmar edition that they haven't received the final protocol to really execute. So this is what we hear. Mm-hmm. I want to take just a moment and go back to two of the primary uh, um, individuals who were condemned and because their lifetime of activism and work really stands out. And I think they're a representative by the virtue of the work they've done there. Uh, it's not just their own individual lives that, uh, that we examine, but also how they are a representative for wider social movements that are taking place in very different ways. So if we look first at Zayar Thaw, as you mentioned, he started as a hip hop artist. He actually brought hip hop into Myanmar. He's credited with that. Uh, there's the whole generation wave and uh, rock the vote. Uh, the intro to this episode is a song that is um, by Matazin, his fiance, so who's also a rapper. So we we featured her rapping to start this episode, and then he later became a legislator himself. So had this very uh, interesting non conventional path. But what I want to just spend a moment looking at is hip hop, is the role of hip hop in resistance. Of course, hip hop came about as a, a, a medium of resistance. It, it, in the black ghettos in America, especially, it was describing and depicting a kind of life that much of white America didn't understand and didn't really care to know or even believe. And it was really a, a tool of, 
uh, of resistance and of fighting oppression and of shining a light into the kinds of things that were happening. And hip hop roots have been like that everywhere around the world. It's been, it's been used in these kind of powerful ways. What can you tell us about how, when hip hop came to Myanmar, how, especially with Zayar Tho, who is one of the condemned here, so he played an active role in this, how hip hop became this active tool of speaking out against repression, against oppression, against uh, supporting the resistance in all kinds and tolerance and a more equitable society. Uh, how, uh, um, what can we understand of the role that hip hop has played in 20 years in resisting the military and Zerto and Matazin's role in employing hip hop for those purposes, going into the start of the coup and how hip hop has continued to be a, a very important and relevant art form now as well? Right. So um, uh, they introduced hip hop um, to Myanmar with their first album, and and um, hip hop became a representation of the rapture from the from the um, the um, the total isolation of uh, the country back in those military um, uh, rule uh, days and um, it represents difference, it represents change, it represents youth and and uh, quickly it uh, became a, a, a used as a medium by, by people um, to to change uh, to influence the way people think to to represent about the the wrongs uh, the problematic aspects of the society including the government the society patriarchy and and um, hip hop became a, a new symbol of a new representation of change and rapture um, in Myanmar. Um, so Kuziato also uh, personally made uh, songs uh, about um, democracy, um, his his uh, vision of a new uh, Myanmar that he liked to see and and um, revealing and covering the the um, the unspoken aspects, the political taboos uh, or that the military didn't want to hear. Um, So the military didn't want to hear. So um, this is this is the um, uh, how hip hop is perceived in Myanmar, uh, and and yeah, and how they introduce that culture um, in Myanmar. 
Mm, that's that's great. Thanks for telling us that. And looking at the other prominent activist, Ko Jimmy, whereas with Zaratha, we look at the role of hip-hop and a tool of importing hip-hop into uh, and using it relevantly uh, and locally within the uh, Myanmar culture. We now, as we turn to Ko Jimmy, we see someone who links 1988 um, perhaps 2007, I'm not sure about that, and certainly 2022. And so within one life of, of an individual, we see a series of resistance movements that he has institutional history of, that he has been involved on the inside out and through and through with his attempts to try to bring more democracy and uh, freedom to to Myanmar despite this military regime. And so in examining his life, it also comes to light that he is representing this this multi-generational and multi-decade striving towards trying to create a better country. Uh, It's not someone like many Gen Z who came of age during this uh, this current protest movement, this current um, in the advent of the coup, but this is someone whose life has really been characterized and marked by his attempts to uh, to create a better country in spite of this military rule. And so, how is that important or significant in him in Kojimi being? Uh, targeted in this way. Obviously, these are these are not random people they're going after. These are symbols. These are these are people that stand for something, and they don't want only to possibly execute the person, but they're hoping that their message and what they stand for will also uh, that that uh, will also be affected. Will also be impacted uh, beyond just the person. So we have to look not just at the people, but what they stand for and why they're considered so dangerous. And you've explained that was Zarathal with hip hop. As we look at Kojimi with his lifetime of activism, what does this represent? What in in his life? What themes or elements do we see of what he's carried and done for Myanmar? And why is that something that the military is wanting to to put an end to and feels threatened by? Right. So, um, uh, I would say um, uh, just the preceding thing uh, came to my mind, uh, and and also it is about erasing the memory, um, and and denying the mere existence of um, uh, difference. I think their their action symbolize uh, that, and for Kujimi, like you said, uh, a lifetime of activism and 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 sacrifice, um, and this is um, the military is now preaching. Um, this is what to expect. What you do what he do, what he does. So, um, it is it is a, about a grave uh, precedent and a, the values that Kujimi represent: freedom, democracy, and a new Myanmar. They they effectively symbolically. Um, 
deny all of these and and um here is a message for the international community um this is this is the insult in the face of the efforts led by the ASEAN uh, to have a dialogue which essentially means listen to the listening to the difference and sit down and talk about the differences and make um, a mutually acceptable uh, set of uh, decisions over how to proceed with the new Myanmar. Now this is another yet example of um, the denial, not also of the dreams of millions in Myanmar, but also the mediation and, and, and the approach. It is an insult to the international community. This represents that mm, right right at, at this point in hearing how devastating this news is and the grave implications for it and even some of the big actors and what they're trying to do and and not even knowing what kind of influence they have i guess the question comes for those of us listening in places of safety uh, is there, you're someone, Hantu, who's very closely involved in this whole case, the families, the colleagues, the process, you've written an article in The Diplomat. Is there something that regular people can do that would mean anything? Is there something that listeners that have gotten to this point and are, are equally concerned and disturbed by the news being shared, is there any action, any small action that those people listening can do that would matter at this time to try to call attention to it or even to uh, possibly have an effect of, uh, of, of intervening in, in the execution and the lives of these individuals? Right. So um, uh, I, can, I can say that first, please spread the word. And second, um, pressure the people who are who are in a, a position to make a real change. Your government representatives, or even the ASEAN, if you can write, pressuring them and 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 bringing the case to their attention, to um, to use their power to stop the atrocities and save off save the lives of four people and and halt the military's attempt to establish that grave uh, precedent. Um, this is what they can do. Spread the word and, and reach out to your representatives and other governments who, are, who have the power to make any real change. Mm, right. Thank you. And our platform inside Myanmar, compared to some of these greater, larger media entities, we're a very humble platform. We're just trying to bring attention in English to 
uh, better understand the events and the going on in Myanmar, especially since the coup, this it's been concerning that there has not been a lot of media attention or press uh, outside of Myanmar on this, as one would expect, hence your article in The Diplomat. And so that's also why we wanted to urgently take on this project when you came to us and to be able to spend the time and space to understand this in depth because there's for non-Burmese speakers, there's not a lot of places that you can go to learn more and be updated about what's happening, the context of it, the individuals involved, the implications. And that's why it's so important to be able to use our space and our platform, however humble it is to be able to take this on and explore it at a greater depth and get that word out to a greater extent. And so that's what we're doing now. But for those that have now listened to this, uh, the uh, it's in your hands. So if you are able to bring others to listen to this or to, um, um, to be concerned and understand what's happening, or if there are any local officials that in your respective places and homes that you're able to write to get the word out. This this really is a moment, not just of passive listening and feeling sorry for the events unfolding, but in seeing is is there anything that a that can call the attention of a group of people in other places to be able to put more pressure and more concern and spread more awareness that this this is above and beyond, as, as you have explained, this is above and beyond some of the terrible cruelty that we've already witnessed. And I think there could be a sense of just a, a numb down of like, oh, one terrible thing after another and one awful event followed by an equally or even worse awful event. And so there could be kind of a numbing of like, oh yeah, it's just things are, are so bad there that are happening. But this is a departure from what we've seen and should it proceed as the regime is claiming and should more sentences be handed down this is a an extremely disturbing development that uh as much as possible one wants to stay ahead of and and see if pressure can be placed so i agree with um you and um i just like to add um use your use your freedom and right you have um to change, um, to make a change, to save the life of these four people, and and um, please spread the word. Uh, I I believe any any uh, any anyone counts in this fight. Uh, any uh, effort, no matter how small they would be writing a letter, um, making a campaign, um, uh, posting about the news um, on your social media. Please do anything that you can um, to, to, um, to save the life of four uh, champions of democracies uh, democracy uh, and, and and human rights. Yeah, thank you for that. Those are important words to keep in mind. And I really just thank you for taking the time to come on and talk about this. I, You've been in an interesting position of giving us all of this range of technical information, the recent history, the current developments. You're close with the colleagues and the family as well. You've written the article. So you're wearing a lot of hats and you've been this 
kind of resource person for providing and giving us this information, but you're also a human and you are affected by this as anyone would be by something that's that's so emotional and so terrible. And so maybe we can just end with checking in with you and how you felt during this interview, how the process has been for you to be playing such a critical role in such a dark case with such terrifying implications. Um, how have you been and what was it like taking the time to discuss the range of things we covered in this interview? Right. So, um, uh, to respond to your question, um, I would just say um, I, I wish I wish I could um, talk more about the case to you, and and in in a, in a more energized way, with of course better with more energy and and in a clear um, statement, more powerful way if I ever can to do this. Uh, but the thing is, as you can see, um, you can you can hear uh, the way how I speak. I I I am these days very distracted and dist uh, distressed. Uh, by the by the new uh, the, by the development of the the entire um, thing um, I wish I wish I just could do better with the podcast um, I, 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 I I don't know I I I'm afraid the something happened to them um, a, they would be hung or whatever a, a, while I am sleeping um, a, and and I think about what's on their mind wearing these orange inmates uniform who are who, who those only um who are finally uh, be getting uh, executed get to wear um, in their solitary confinement I, I don't know what I I think about what uh, what they are thinking how, how they are feeling also my my mind is my thoughts are constant constantly with their immediate families, um i this is this is um so much for me to handle this is what i can say right thanks for saying that and i think that's really important because we have gone over such a broad range in this interview of talking about the profiles of the condemned uh, the, the current state of the coup in the revolution the response of large international bodies like ASEAN and western countries looking at the implications uh, of what would happen should this be carried out the possibilities of preventing this and i think that and that was all very necessary to spend that time really properly understanding this from as many angles as possible in the time that we have. But there is this human element that these are, these are lives of good people that are at stake. And 
these are lives, brilliant lives that have done so much to improve the world around them. And not only are these lives being impacted, but everyone that is connected to them, everyone that's connected to the case, they are also having this emotional toll of how they eat and how they sleep and how they think and their emotions and their mental processes and their livelihoods and everything else that this is having this incredible and awful human impact on those that are close. I think it's really important that we end with acknowledging the humanity of it. These are these are not we 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 have to talk about the broad arcs of the story. We have to understand the context and the frames of what is happening, but that understanding should not preclude also being able to humanize and identify as a fellow being on this world, just the pain and the burden of carrying this for everyone involved, whether it's whether it's you and the work you're doing or the condemned themselves or their families or anyone else, that this is just a, a, a terrible anxiety that I can't even begin to imagine, uh, properly understand that one also has to live under while simultaneously trying to to pay attention to and, and, and give awareness to these greater narrative arcs to simply understand what's happening and to spread that awareness. But these are, these are two things that we, we have to be concerned with. So you're right. Um, thinking about these people, connecting with them, uh, make the case personal uh, to you. Um, a, this is this is such a great opportunity that I can um, talk about these things, not also, not also not not only in a in a factual report, um, but these thoughts, these feelings, sharing these emotional distress. Um, uh, I hope these um, really connect the poor souls to the listeners i am very grateful that i'm invited today thank you very much Many listeners know that in addition to running these podcast episodes, we also run a nonprofit, Better Burma, which carries out humanitarian projects across Myanmar. While we regularly post about current needs and proposals from groups on the ground, we also handle emergency requests, often in matters that are quite literally life or death. When those urgent requests come in, we have no time to conduct targeted fundraisers, as these funds are often needed within hours. So please consider helping us maintain this emergency fund. We want to stress that literally any amount that you give allows us to respond more flexibly and effectively when disaster strikes. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go to support a wide range of humanitarian missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, 
internally displaced person, IDP camps, food for impoverished communities, military defection campaigns, undercover journalists, monasteries and nunneries, education initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and much more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution for a specific activity or project you would like to support. Perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian aid work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A.org and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either the Insight Myanmar or Better Burma websites for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. If you'd like to give it another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. And support.